Uh, we will continue in our expository study through the book of Romans. This is our 16th, 17th, I think it's our 16th lesson uh, in the book of Romans. And we are at a pivotal point, a changing point in the book. We have from Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, we have described the condition of humanity. Paul has addressed the Gentiles, he's addressed the Jews, and he has arrived at the conclusion that all men have transgressed the law of God and that all men are guilty before God. All men, women, and children, all of humanity stands guilty before God. All of mankind is guilty under the law of God, has transgressed uh, the will of God has transgressed the law of God. And so this morning, uh, we enter into a portion of this letter now where uh, Paul begins to make the transition. It's the pivotal section of the letter from here through Romans chapter 5, all of chapter 5. Paul will declare God's answer to that dilemma. For the next few weeks and months, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of justification by faith. And this morning's passage is just five verses, but it is one of the key passages in the book of Romans. The next five verses explain the fundamental principles of salvation for all of mankind, and they express the doctrine of justification by faith. Here we learn that on the basis of the cross, God freely declares sinners to be righteous through their faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we're going this morning, this passage describes God's provision of salvation, and it does it through three metaphors or from three different points of view. He, he describes salvation from uh, the terminology used in a courtroom. We are justified. That, that means to be declared righteous by a judge. Then he describes it in the terminology of the slave market. We are redeemed. That means to be bought for price to be set free. And then he describes it in the terms of the temple. He uses a word that you'll see in your King James Version of the Bible that you're going to scratch your head and say, now what does that mean? Because you won't see it anywhere else in, in the usage of the English language, the word propitiation. And that word has to do with a sacrifice of atonement or a place for atonement. And so in the terminology of the temple, he describes for us, uh, what took place at the cross and how man is saved. We'll begin in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, and we're going to read those together. And then I'm going to, I've been saying five verses, but that's six verses, forgive me. And then I'm going to uh, take it apart verse by verse. Begin in verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law, and by the prophets, or and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely 
by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now that was some complex language. And, and it's easy to read all that and say, okay, now I didn't get anything there uh, that, that was pivotal and important and all that stuff you just described. We're going to take it apart by verse by verse because really the war inner workings of what we mean when we talk about justification by faith are enclosed in these verses. This is the, the central statement of what he's talking about. Beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So up to this point in the letter, Paul has emphasized that the natural man, no matter if he's a Jew or a Greek, it doesn't matter what his heritage is, it doesn't matter where he came from, all are sinners and all are under the wrath of God. All have fallen short of the glory of God and all are guilty. Everybody is condemned by the law of God. But Paul starts this section with these words, but now. And those words mark a transition. Something has occurred to change that. Something has occurred to bring about a dramatic shift. All was lost, but now God has intervened. There was no hope. That's how we ended last week. But now God has stepped on the scene. Amen. I, I love those two words. All of mankind was condemned, but now God has changed everything. But now says that uh, uh, the human predicament was horrible. The, the condition of humanity was, was without hope. It was bleak. The forecast was terrible. But now God has stepped in and radically transformed things uh, because of the saving act uh, of Jesus Christ uh, on the cross of Calvary. What happened on Golgotha's hill changed everything. But now, Amen. God did not leave us like we were. God did not leave us in the condition that Paul has so aptly described to us across uh, the course of, of two and a half chapters now. God stepped in and he turned the darkness uh, of night uh, into the glorious light of a brand new day. God stepped in uh, and he turned that that certain condition of, of only having to look forward to the judgment of God uh, into a chance for mercy and grace. But now, amen, with that declaration, Paul begins to explain God's way of righteousness, which alone can bring salvation to the sinful man. This way of righteousness, he said it doesn't come from the law. The law reveals sin. We said this last week. The law makes us aware of our sin. It makes us aware of where we fall short. But it does not cleanse us from sin. And it cannot make us righteous. God's righteousness is manifested outside of the law. Amen. It's manifested apart from the law. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law was the heart of the Jewish religious system. 
and the prophets were its outstanding teachers, religious teachers, and and both, Paul says, point to the truth that he's about to unfold here. The righteousness that God gives to man, it, it only comes from God. Man can't get it anywhere else. Man cannot save himself. He's saved by faith in God. Amen. Paul is letting us know that what's about to happen here, what he's about to unfold to us, is not a new way of salvation. This isn't something new that God just came up with here now. This right here, this this has is based on, this is the development of what was taught in the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, that's the, the Hebrew generalization for all the Old Testament. And the Old Testament testifies to this way of salvation that Paul's talking about. This isn't a new thing. This is... This is firmly settled on the foundation of the word of God. Now, an interesting thing to note about verse 21 is that that phrase, being witnessed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, says that the law and the prophets speak of this. That phrase, being witnessed, is a present participle. You're going to hear that several times today. It's part of speech which denotes continual ongoing action this isn't a verb that took place somewhere in the past this isn't even a verb that is fulfilled this isn't you can say uh, he drank that water and he, he did it and it's done and it's over but if you say he's drinking that water what you mean is you know he started drinking it but he's not finished he's still in the process this is a continual uh, present tense. It's happening right now. It is the present participle. It means that the testimony of the Old Testament is still witnessing. And there are some that would say, you know, why, preacher, you go to the Old Testament and preach. Why don't you get in the New Testament? That's where we're living now because my Bible tells me that the witness of the Old Testament is still current. It still matters. There's still revelation there. There's still truth there. It still testifies that this thing that we're in right now isn't some brand new thing that God came up with later on. This is built on the foundation of the law and the prophets. This is settled on the Old Testament. We talked about and we have talked about in the past when we were talking about the book of Peter, that the cohesiveness of Scripture, how that, that Peter said, test my words by the words of the prophets. Test what I'm telling you by the law because God hasn't changed. Uh, my Bible said he doesn't change. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. This thing is settled on the word of God. Amen. And that word still witnesses. There is a lasting witness that endures to this day in the written record of the Old Testament. There is a lasting testimony that is in harmony with the witness of the New Testament. It's not that we have an old covenant and a new covenant and they're like night and day. It's that we have a new covenant that is the fulfillment of an old covenant. Jesus didn't come so he could scrap the whole thing and start all over with something brand new. Jesus came to fulfill what was established. He brought to fruition. He built upon the foundation that was laid. There's harmony between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You discard the Old Testament at your own peril. Amen. 
No, we don't live by the dietary laws there. No, we don't live by the ceremonial law there. You discard all of that, though. You, you, you turn and say, well, none of that matters anymore at your own peril because the understanding of where we are now, what we're doing now, and the, the very veracity of the truth that's preached and taught in the New Testament is founded on the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Now, verse 22 says, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. The righteousness from God, the righteousness of God that is without the law comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. It's that through faith, which is by faith of Jesus Christ through faith signifies or or that by faith signifies that faith is the means or the instrument by which we receive righteousness faith is what handles the things of the spirit with faith through faith by faith in faith we grasp the promises of God you can't touch the things of God without faith it is how you handle spiritual things but not just any faith it is the faith of jesus christ or the faith in jesus christ what that word of is telling us is telling us the object of our faith it's not jesus christ's faith it's our faith in him it's the he is the object of our faith and so our faith must be in jesus christ and faith in jesus christ looses the righteousness of god It does so unto all and upon all them that believe. God's righteousness comes to all who believe. The Greek uses the present participle, which indicates continuous present action. I told you you're going to hear that several times today. Continuous present tense action. What it literally says is all those who are believing. It's a process. It's an ongoing thing. The Wycliffe Bible Commentary says, the present participle makes it clear that this is a lifelong commitment to Christ. It is a daily response of faith that is in view here. This isn't just a single one-time act of faith. This isn't just something that happened somewhere in history. I believed and I was saved. This is an ongoing, continual faith in Jesus Christ. It's in the present participle. something that's happening, that's continuing to happen. It didn't just happen last Sunday, but it's happening this Sunday. It's going to happen tomorrow, just like it happened yesterday. It's an ongoing, continual faith. Amen. And then he ends with this statement, there is, for there is no difference. And that phrase really belongs with verse 23 and is best discussed in the context of verse 23 which says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God so there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles there's no difference between uh, the heathen and and those that receive the law of God there's no difference in the way that they receive God's righteousness that's what we're talking about here we already established there was some difference 
they had the law. They were a little different. They they had the opportunity to know God, to be the people of God, the ambassadors of heaven. They were they were different. But there's no difference in the way they receive righteousness. We all receive righteousness the same way. All have sinned. All have come short of God's glory. We are all guilty before God. All of us receive righteousness the same way. Amen. And then interestingly enough, we find the present participle again in the second half of that verse where it says, come short of the glory of God. Righteousness comes from continual faith an ongoing faith. It's a result of a daily walk with God. That's what we said just a minute ago. And now we find that unrighteousness is the opposite. Sin is the result of a continual unbelief. It's the result of a daily life of coming short of God's purpose for your life. Daily walk of falling short of God's glory or rejecting God's way. It's a continual ongoing, day-by-day, failing to measure up to God's purpose for your life. So we have in those two verses the description of the saved life as a continual daily thing, and the, the life of the sinner is also a continual daily thing. And he says all have sinned. That sums up the human tragedy. All have sinned. This doesn't mean that everybody's sinned in equal manner. This doesn't mean that we've all sinned equally bad. From our perspective, some sins are worse than others. You know, we make a distinction between a little white lie and murder. A big difference to us. But all have sinned. From God's perspective, any sin is enough to separate us from him. We measure the difference in sins and it seems to be the difference in leaps and bounds, huge difference. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't have a lot of tolerance, certain kinds of sin that we're, you know, maybe willing to overlook a little bit. There's certain kinds of sin we don't have any toleration for. We don't like pedophiles. I'm sorry. Just the way it is. We don't have a lot of room, uh, and, and God has mercy, and I understand that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get sidetracked here. There's just certain sins that when there, there's, it's hard to overcome that the, the, the stigma that comes with certain kinds of sin. The way we classify sins, and let me try to describe this for a minute before I lose everybody. It's like a group of people trying to jump to the moon. If we all tried to jump, we line up. And we all tried to jump to the moon. I have absolutely no doubt that the most athletic man in this room is Trent Anderson. And we are possibly, sorry, buddy, didn't mean to. <laughs> anyway, we all line up, and Trent, we all jump. Trent may jump a foot higher than me. Trent may jump a foot and a half higher than me. I may not even get off the ground. And you look at that and you say, wow, his vertical is a whole lot higher than Brother McCall's. Now, Zach's vertical may, you know, they may be a little closer together, but his vertical, he, he can jump a lot higher. He's getting a lot closer to the moon. But from the moon's perspective, his little piddly foot and a half don't really make that big of a difference. He ain't getting anywhere close to the mark 
when you look at it from the moon, even the most skilled athlete is pathetically inadequate. Sorry, Trent, I mean to call you pathetic. Falls far, far short. He may jump higher than this fat boy, but he ain't getting anywhere close to Earth's orbit, much less the moon. That's the way it is with sin and righteousness. My very best, the Bible tells me, is like filthy rags in the presence of God. I may feel like I outshine everybody else. I I may think that I've really done something. I'm better than those around me. I'm better than somebody else. I, I, I may feel like I, I've got my holiness all intact and, I got, and I'm a righteousness and I, and I told the line and I walked and I, I do it all right. And I may feel like I am a supreme pinnacle of what it means to be righteous. But when you see it from God's point of view, there's not really that big of a difference we all fall pathetically short of the mark in our own effort you can't save yourself you can't get good enough to save yourself your very best effort will never save you you may be better than somebody else but you're not good enough to save yourself You can't make yourself righteous. You can't deliver yourself from the horrible bondage of sin. It is as impossible as trying to jump to the moon. It can't be done. So while we set distinction in between sins, and I I named some of them earlier. We think the little white lie is a whole lot different than the pedophile. And we see a vast gulf. But when you look at it from God's perspective, sin is sin. And sin separates humanity from God, period. We need salvation if we're a sinner. And if you let sin in your life, it's going to do damage, fundamental damage to your relationship with God. You may think, well, there are certain things I can dabble in. They don't really affect me. You have absolutely no understanding of how it affects you. It does fundamental damage to your walk with God. Now we get to the heart of the matter. Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So now we answer the question, what happens to the sinner who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says he is justified. Now Paul's speaking in the terms of a courtroom. I told you we're going to use three metaphors. This is the first one. He's speaking in the terms of a courtroom. The word justified is a legal term. It means to be in right standing or to be vindicated in the eyes of the law. In the context of the verse, the verb to justify means to count as righteous or to declare to be righteous. God declares the believer to be righteous. It's just as if the judge declared a defendant to be innocent. If you're, I know you're, you're innocent until you're proven guilty under 
under our legal system. But in the reality of the matter is when you're charged with some heinous crime, a lot of people think you're guilty immediately. And that cloud of guilt hangs over you. As a matter of fact, they can lock you up in shackles and they can put you in a jailhouse and a judge can say you can't even have you can't even have bond. You can't even get out on bond. You're going to stay there until you're tried. But once you stand in the courtroom and the judge declares that you're innocent, immediately you're entitled to all the privileges of a free man. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter what the evidence was. When the judge says you're innocent, you leave the shackles behind. You leave the jailhouse behind, and you walk out of the courthouse a free man, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Likewise, when God declares a man to be righteous, he is entitled to all the privileges of righteousness, which includes eternal life. When a man is justified, he is declared to be righteous. God removes the guilt. He removes the condemnation of sin. He removes sin's stain. He takes away the record. The Bible said he casts your sin into a sea of forgetfulness. You know, we have double jeopardy in this country. You can't be tried for the same uh, certain, I guess, certain offenses twice, the felonies or whatever. You, just, you, once you, you're tried, you can't be tried again. They got to enter new evidence. God casts your sin into a sea of forgetfulness. You're not going to be tried again. It's forgotten. It's gone. What you did before is under the blood of Jesus Christ. What you said before has been washed away. It is washed from his records. It's washed from his... Con God's not going to bring it back up. When he sets a man free, the Bible says, he's truly free. His past sin no longer hangs over his head. Now, the problem with that is we're human, and we remember what we did. But God doesn't remember what we did. I've worked with people who could not forgive themselves. But I've never worked with anybody that God couldn't forgive. Whenever God forgives, when he washes it away, he doesn't remember it anymore. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to deal with things that were set in motion by your sin. We reap what we sow. Biblical principle doesn't change. If you go out and you sin and you end up pregnant out of wedlock and, and, and you whatever and, and you repent God doesn't take that away it may very well end up being a blessing somewhere down the road God doesn't undo the effects of your sin but he takes away the guilt the condemnation of your sin amen so one thing that we need to understand here is where Paul is in the context of this letter. Paul's writing this letter to the Roman believers, and he's writing it in the apostolic era of the first century. The apostles preached and taught the new birth as it was taught to them by Jesus Christ. This is after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the upper room. This is after Peter has commanded, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When Paul speaks about salvation, you have to understand that he has the new birth in view. 
He hasn't changed the words of Jesus Christ. Except a man be born again, he shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not rewriting what Jesus said. He's telling you the legal working, the inner working of how it works. He's declaring to you God's answer for man's sinful condition. And when he speaks of salvation, he has the new birth in mind. A man must be born again or he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And to be born again, Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born of water and of spirit. Amen. It's not, you, you've got to be, uh, we, we, with water, baptism is baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. The spirit baptism is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you'll speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. That is the new birth. And you've got to look at that new birth experience in a, as a united, cohesive experience. You can't split it up. You can't divide it. It's done when it's done. It's not done until it's done. Amen. You got to repent of your sins. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You will receive. You will receive. That's what Peter said. You will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The evidence of speaking in tongues is the Spirit of God gives the utterance. And that is the new birth experience. You are born again when you're born of water and of spirit. And when we look at justification, when we talk about justification, we're talking about an instantaneous event that coincides with the new birth. When you're born, you breathe your first breath of air. It happens instantaneously. Whenever, whenever you know, you're in your mother's womb, you don't breathe air with your lungs. That's not the way it works. You want to find out how it works? Go talk to somebody besides me. Amen. But whenever you're born, you breathe air. It happens, in, sometimes the doctor's got to hold you up and slap you on the backside, but you breathe air, it happens. It's part of the process. So it is with justification. When you're born again, you're justified. It happens, it's instant. It happens when you are born again. Amen? It coincides with a new birth, and it stands at the beginning of a life of faith. It's not something that happened once somewhere in the dark history recesses of your memory and you were saved when you were six and you've been saved ever since no matter what you did there was that present participle verb we were dealing with earlier that said it's a continual ongoing life of faith it's a continual act of faith it's a daily living in faith it's something that began Maybe when you were 6 or 7 or 8 when you received the Holy Ghost for the first time or maybe when you were 21 or 31 or 45 or, or 65 or whenever. It began then, but it's an ongoing, continual process. God declared you to be righteous. He declared you to be justified. He declared you to be innocent. And he treats you as if you're righteous. He treats you as if you're justified, as if you're innocent. And from that day forward, you live that way. Amen? That means that if you sin again, you need to repent again. That means that if after you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you walk out of here and you stub your toe and the old man rises up and you say something you know you shouldn't have said, guess what? You need to repent. 
You need to get the blood over you again. You need to say, Lord, forgive me. It's a continual process. Amen? So God declares us to be righteous. But even then, if, if we commit sin after that, we have an advocate with the Father. How? Through Jesus Christ. Through our faith in him. We still put our faith in the blood of Jesus. We still call on the name of Jesus. And we repent and the blood covers us. The whole continual daily aspect of righteousness is in view here. You've got to walk in faith. You've got to live by faith. It's a life of expressing my faith in him. And the daily aspect of unrighteousness comes into view when you forsake that faith and you walk away and you live contrary to God's will and and you're back in that same place that the unrighteous were in. A daily falling short of the glory of God. Justification does not mean that we actually become righteous when we're justified. Becoming righteous is the process that Bible theologians call sanctification. If you go to, I don't want to sound racist, please don't take it this way. You visit an old black church, you'll all hear the old preacher talk about sanctification a whole lot. Sanctification is that process. We like to call it holiness and all that. It's that process of becoming righteous. It's lining my life up with what I... Well, you see, I'm never going to finish this today. You see, whenever God spoke over me at repentance and, and baptism, when he filled me, he spoke better things over me than what I am. He spoke better things over me than what I was. He declared me to be a better man than I've ever been. Sanctification is the process of becoming what has already been spoken over you, what has already been declared. You were declared righteous. You're imperfect. You fall short. I can't jump as high as he can. I'm never going to be able to jump as high as he can. I'm always going to fall short. But sanctification is that daily process of growing into what God wants me to be, of becoming what God's called me to be. Amen. It's that day by day living in the pursuit of his will and his purpose and his plan for my life. It's saying, Lord, I realize you've forgiven me of my sins and I didn't deserve it. You washed me in your blood, Lord, and I wasn't worthy of it. Amen. But now I'm going to walk worthy. I'm going to live worthy. Amen. I'm going to make up my mind today. Amen. Uh, you you thought better of me than I thought of myself. Uh, so today I'm going to try to live up uh, to what you thought of me. Paul talks about walking worthy of the cross. Walking worthy of the sacrifice that was made, walking worthy of the price that was paid. Whenever we live in righteousness, 
and where we live in holiness. And somebody said, well, why, why do you have rules about your life? Why do you have certain things you want? It's, it's called sanctification. It's called I'm trying to become. Amen. No, it doesn't save me. I was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ uh, at the cross of Calvary. I was saved uh, when I put my faith in him and repented of my sins uh, and was baptized in his name uh, and he filled me with the Holy Ghost. I don't do this because it saves me. I do this because I'm saved. I live this way because it is how I become what he's already declared me to be. Amen. If I don't live this way, then I'm going to fall back into the old man and the old man's going to rise up and rule in me and that old nature's going to take a hold of me and it's going to take me in places that God never intended for me to go and it's going to lead me away from his righteousness and his grace and his mercy and I'm not even going to be on the path of living up to what he declared me to be and before I know it, I'm going to be right back where I was uh, daily falling short uh, of the glory of God. That's unrighteousness. That's what he saved me from. That's what he delivered me from. I can't go back to that. I can't afford to go back to that. I've been saved. I've been justified. So becoming righteous, living righteous, walking righteous, that's a process that begins at justification. It begins at that place where God speaks over my life and he declares me to be something that I, I haven't ever been before. Amen. He, he declares me to be righteous and to be good and to be godly and to be holy. And Paul just told me, I missed the mark by a mile. Does that mean I immediately became all of that? No. When I come out of that water, I was the same guy that went down in that water except my sins have been washed away and God declared something better over me than what I was. But my Bible said I get out of that water and I walk in the newness of life. There's something that takes place where I say, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and today I'm going to be better than I was yesterday and tomorrow I'm going to get closer than I was the day before that and I walk in a new life. It shows up in the way that I live day by day. Whenever Jesus Christ finally returns and the trump of God sounds and he catches this church out of here, then and only then will he bestow upon me absolute sinless perfection. Then I'll be righteous. Then I'm going to leave this flesh behind. Then I'm going to have a new body. Amen. A new man. I'm going to be created all over again. And I'm going to leave behind this sin nature that perplexes me and that tries to be a stumbling block in my life and hinder me in my walk with God. Then I'll become what I've already been declared to be. I have been declared to be righteous. I'm righteous in standing before God because he's declared me to be that. But then I'm going to be it in fact. Amen, I'm going to be it for real. Amen, I'm going to be it in, I'm going to be righteous.
today I'm just a man trying to live worthy of what God's already spoken over me. I'm just a man trying to live up to what God has called me to be. Justification declares us to be righteous in standing in relationship to the judgment of God as we strive to be righteous in deed and in action. Amen. None of us will ever be perfect on this side of glory. But every one of us is called to live worthy of that declaration that has been made in our lives. Every one of us is called to live worthy of what God has spoken over us. That righteous declaration, that justification, the verse says that it comes freely. It was freely given. It comes through faith. Not by the obedience of the law. It comes through faith. It wasn't earned. It wasn't merited. It wasn't deserved. It is the grace of God. By faith, I repented of my sins. And God forgave me. And by faith, I was buried in his name in the waters of baptism. And he raised me up to walk in the newness of life by faith. I'm going to stop because I've got two more metaphors and i got a feeling that if I go into the next one, we may be here after the roast is long since burnt. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We'll, we're in the middle of verse 24 and we'll pick right back up in the middle of verse 24 next week. I have no doubt that we'll be just fine with that. I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost. I feel the, the presence of God in this place in a very rich manner. Sometimes we struggle with our own humanity. This flesh this dead man that we carry around with us, it, it tries to entice us. It tries to draw us away from the will of God and the way of God. It actually becomes a stumbling block to us to keep us from being what God has called us to be and to hinder us in our walk with God and our growth in the Holy Ghost. And when that happens the guilt and the condemnation of it sets in and, and we, we struggle with our identity in Christ. I want you to understand two things this morning. First of all, when he forgave you, he declared you to be something greater than what you are. He justified you. Second of all, you have an advocate with the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to mess up sometimes. Does that mean we should go and live in sin? No. We're going to answer that very fully before we're done with the book of Romans. But it does mean that whenever you fail and you fall and you mess up, 
that you can get back up again and that you can keep on walking. It does mean that God knew when he declared you to be righteous that you were just a man, just a woman with all the faults and foibles that come along with that. God knew that. And his mercy is enough to cover you. His blood is enough to wash away all your sins. If you will continue in your faith, if you will, how, how did I get remission of sins in the first place? Well, I, I repented. If the process is continual, if it's ongoing, that means that, Brother Keith, I need to build an altar in my life. And I need to repent when I mess up. I need to have a place I can go and, and ask the Lord to wash me again in the blood of Jesus Christ because sometimes I'm going to, sometimes my flesh is just going to mess me up. I need His blood and His mercy. This morning I want to make an invitation. This altar is open. There are people under the sound of my voice that you, you really desire to live for God. And you struggle sometimes with your own humanity. You struggle sometimes with who you are and what you, your battles are and what your flesh hinders you. I'm not in any way, shape, or form advocating sin. I believe God will give you freedom over addictions. I believe God will give you freedom over the chains that bound you. I believe that God will set you free. But I also understand that you're not perfect yet that you're going to make mistakes from time to time, that you need the blood of Jesus. And I'm asking you for a few moments on a Sunday morning to find a place to an altar, to bend your knees in His presence, to commit yourself again to that daily walk, to daily living for Him, to daily walking with Him, to a daily life of faith, to daily striving to live up to what He has declared you to be, to daily striving to become, amen, what He's already spoken over you in faith declaration of righteousness I'm asking you in this place uh, with the whole church come and just find a or you can kneel where you are but find a place of prayer for a few moments on a Sunday morning I've stopped a little bit early we've got plenty of time would you find a place of prayer and would you just tell him Lord I want to I want to live up to that I want to walk worthy I want to walk worthy 